Hello and welcome to episode 82 of Linux Downtime. I'm Joe. I'm Amalith. And I'm Jim. Good to talk to you again, Amalith, and good to talk to you for the first time on this show, Jim. Hello. People may know you from 2.5admins, 2.5admins.com. It's always possible. You may also know me from former work at Ars Technica or Wirecutter or just being loud and obnoxious on the internet. All pretty much equally possible. And people may also know you for your projects, Sanoid and Syncoid. Nah, that just sounds like a pipe dream, Joe. I'm not buying that one. Oh, well, today they're going to find out about that. Because you wrote those as orchestration tools on top of ZFS using super modern language Perl. (laughs) Absolutely. Why would anybody use anything but the Swiss Army Chainsaw for a project in the 2000s? (laughs) Yeah, because this has been uh, around for quite a while, hasn't it? I released the project publicly in uh, like 2012, 2013, I think. It's it's been around a while. We're, We're closing in on a decade if we haven't quite gotten there yet. But uh, when I started it, Perl was by far the uh, the language that I was the most familiar with. And uh, it's very applicable and performant for sysadmin type tasks, which is what was, you know, that's that's what we're doing there. So I didn't see a whole lot of reason to, uh, you know, try to go learn Python up to the speed that I would need to to write it just so I would have done it in a language that the cool kids enjoy. Because the other thing about Perl is very few people might be using it, but it's on every system. Yeah, well, we might talk about that another time, possibly. But I wanted to talk about getting the most out of your FOSS project. And this came from a conversation that we had about adding features to your project, where you kind of leveraged the open source nature of it. Well, the single most important thing to do if you want to make the most out of your open source project is to actually plan, design, and build it as an open source project from the get-go. A lot of people will make the mistake of they either, they think they can just put a description of the project up on the internet and developers will come along and develop it for them, which is (laughs) very rarely going to be the case. Or it's the other way around and they want to do all of the initial development, you know, completely in private and just kind of throw something over the wall when they get done. Neither one of those approaches is liable to get you anything very useful in the way of a community and contributors to to help shoulder the load. When I first wrote Sanoid and Syncoid, that is really my first proper, you know, self-developed open source project. And I very mindfully went about it with that thought in my head rather than just write it and dump it over the wall my very first step in creating those programs was to create the the GitHub repo for them. And, you know, I began committing code very early. When I first started committing code to that GitHub repository, it was not a working prototype. It was the actual work in progress. And, you know, I made sure to write lots of comments and talk about what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And, you know, try to build the code with the idea also that like, you know, hey, people are seeing this. So be professional, you know, don't just be slapdash and whatever. It's not like anybody can see these abominations I've committed. Go about it from the start thinking people who are better at coding than I am will be reading this and behave accordingly. So that was the, you know, the the origin of Sanoid and Syncoid, and it, it did, in fact, work really well for me. I started getting, you know, contributors and bug fixers and testers a whole lot sooner than I thought that I would have, and I was very pleased about that. So recently, I wanted to address a longstanding 
lack, let's just say, in Syncoid. Syncoid relies on an external program to give you a progress bar about, you know, how well your replication is going, how much time you've got left, all that kind of thing. And Andrew Wood's PV, Pipe Viewer, is what we use, and it is a great tool. I love it, but because it's an external tool, there are limitations for using it for a complex progress bar. Particularly in Syncoid, frequently you're replicating multiple data sets, and each one of those data sets may require a full and then an incremental with like a bunch of different snapshots. And when you're using an external progress bar, you can see the progress of the one task you're on currently, but there's not really a good way to get an overall view of like, where am I in terms of this entire replication with 30 different data sets, some of which require fulls, some incrementals, you know, it's all different. By bringing the progress bar in, I'll be able to address that. So I decided the proper way to go about this because I knew there was going to be a lot of goofing around and trying to figure out what the heck I was doing with cursor positioning in a text interface without using something like Incurses. I was like, well, let me just develop this as a separate project first, sort of a proof of concept. I'll literally just re-implement something similar to PV using Perl so that later I'll be able to incorporate it into Syncoid, but we'll start off with kind of a standalone proof of concept we can see. And I approached it in the same way that I did Sano and Syncoid to begin with. You know, I created a repo. I started committing code to the repo. Once I had something that was worth looking at that would largely do what it was supposed to be doing, in addition to making the ongoing commits and all that kind of stuff, I started talking about it on social media. I'm working on this. This is why I'm working on that. This is the eventual goal of the thing that I'm working on. And lo and behold, a couple of days after I started doing that, a developer who, um, he's committed some stuff to uh, Sanoid and Syncoid before, I believe, Tom Hurst, showed up and just started making commits. And uh, it became clear very quickly that Tom is one of those folks who is frankly far better at software development than I am. So, you know, we we kind of committed uh, stuff back and forth for a couple of days refining things. And thanks to Tom's help, not only did Pearl PV achieve performance parity with the original PV, despite the original being written in pure C, we're actually outperforming PV now. And that's not because I'm amazing. That's because I created an open source project and talked about it in a way that attracted a really good developer to come in and fill in some of the holes in you know, my own abilities. And the result is a genuine collaboration that is a whole heck of a lot better. Now, for a couple of days of us pushing you know, back and forth, Tom had clearly gotten so into it. And like I said, it was so obvious he was a better developer than I was that, you know, I just told him in a comment on, on one of his uh, pull requests and said, hey, I'm just going to back off for the next couple of days so that I don't get in your way. And, you know, once we've reached stability, then let's talk about how we integrate it into Syncoid. And uh, so that's kind of where we're at now. The, the project is probably ready to begin pulling it into Syncoid. And we just haven't quite gotten to the step of doing that work yet. But... It's an amazing experience, and admittedly, I, I don't think I could have attracted somebody like Tom as quickly if I didn't already have successful open source projects under my belt. But again, I mean, I'm literally doing the same things that I did to begin with, and they worked then, and they're still working now. And um, I think it would be great if more people understood, like, this is the dynamic. This is how this works. It's fun, and it's functional, and uh, can't recommend it enough. Are you learning, Amalith? I am learning. I'm ingesting all this stuff and intend to put it into practice in the future. I have a bunch of small open source projects that are like primarily for personal use. I have done what you described and created the repo first, done all the work in progress development in the open, 
and no one's contributed to any of them, but that could just be because they're on SourceHut, and SourceHut's not exactly user-friendly. That certainly would be part of it. The other question is, you know, you said that they're largely personal projects. You know, have you talked about it on general social media? Have you created any kind of a buzz about them? Not intentionally. I have posted about them and I link to them on like the projects page on my website. Most of the small pieces of software are for my website, like programmatically generating cover images from the markdown posts, for example. Well, it might be worth talking about Another thing that gets people to contribute, which is thinking about your project scope when you create it. Mm -hmm. If you're hoping to attract contributors, then you want to make sure that even if your project is for a specific thing, think about other things that it might be useful for if you don't get in there and hamper those other uses because you coded it too narrowly for your specific thing. Again, looking at Perl PV as an example, now... Tom specifically might have come along either way because it was intended to eventually go into Syncoid. And I, I know Tom is a, a Sanoid user, but it definitely helps to, to back off and think like, okay, how might people use this as long as I don't wall them off from being able to use it that way? Maybe I need to open up my scope a little bit. Maybe I need to address a more general use case while keeping in mind the narrower use case that I specifically want it for, but without excluding that broad use case. That's an interesting way to think about it. I've been hearing for years from other seasoned open source maintainers who say, keep a very limited scope. It should only do this. It should do this one thing. Don't have like a reckless infinite scope of features you want to add to the thing. But I haven't ever heard them say, keep a narrow scope in mind while avoiding exclusion if that makes sense. That absolutely makes sense. And uh, that, that really is kind of the, the full perspective. You don't want to go too broad because you'll basically have feature crept yourself into doom before you even get off the ground. But if you go too narrow, then you're just going to end up writing the same code over and over and over again because you've built this incredibly narrow thing that's only good for one thing and you can't easily reuse it anywhere else. And nobody else can easily use it for anything because... You made it just for your one thing. Ultimately, it's the same reason that we use variables for things that we could have just used the raw number for, or the, you know, the reason that we assign constants in like C code rather than just using the raw number. Even if it's a constant value, it's a lot easier to work with and adapt and understand if you build it with that more generalist case in mind by using constants or even using variables that you can go in. Like if you're using the value of pi all throughout your program, sure, you could type in 3.1415, you know, blah, 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 all the way through. But if instead you're, you know, assigning pi to a constant or a variable, it's easier to read. And also, you know, in the admittedly unlikely event, you find yourself in another sidereal universe with different physical laws, you can easily adjust your program to the new value of pi. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Factor. With the busy fall season already in swing, you might be looking for wholesome, convenient meals for jam-packed days. Factor can help you fuel up fast for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with chef-prepared, ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle. Relish the best of autumn with fall flavors. Factor's limited-time only, hearty, comforting meals featuring seasonal vegetables like cranberry pecan chicken and apple Dijon pork chops. Ready in just two minutes, they'll satisfy your full cravings during the busy season without the hassle. Try delicious, dietitian-approved calorie smart meals 
with around or less than 550 calories per serving. Amleth tried Factor and said the meals were delicious and extremely quick to prepare. He also loved the smoothies and said the tropical flavour was his favourite. So support the show and go to factormeals.com slash LDT50 and use code LDT50 to get 50% off. That's code LDT50 at factormeals.com slash LDT50 to get 50% off. Quick bit of admin then. First of all, thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. If you want to join those people, you can go to linuxdowntime.com slash support. And remember that for various amounts on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed of either just this show or all the shows in the Late Night Linux family. And if you want to get in contact with us, you can email show at linuxdowntime.com. Another way you can really make the most of your open source project is to build it on top of other open source projects. That's kind of the whole open source thing. And that's very much what you've done with your projects, Jim. You know, you built this orchestration there on top of ZFS, but they kind of wouldn't exist, Sunoid and Syncoid, without this amazing open source project that is ZFS underneath. Well, sure, because the whole point of it is to orchestrate, you know, the, the use of tools that already exist in ZFS. It kind of felt like self-preservation, honestly, to make it like really clear from the get-go, look, I'm just orchestrating things that ZFS already does. Because, I mean, for one thing, you, you don't want to go out there blowing your own horn and, you know, not talking about something like that to have somebody swoop in and be like, you know, ah, oh, look at this guy, you know, pumping himself all up. Or, you know, really all he's doing is when, you know, yeah, that, that is all you're doing. The other thing, though, it's really good to talk openly about that kind of dependency because it makes it a lot easier to explain later on why something that doesn't work right isn't your fault because it's an upstream issue. As an example, uh, the only way that I can provide any kind of an estimation of progress completion in Syncoid is by using ZFS dry, it's called uh, ZFS dry send, which is, it's just a, you tell it, act like you're gonna send this, but don't really do it and tell me how much data there was gonna be in it. And ZFS gets it wrong. Its estimator is not particularly accurate. If you're moving gigabytes worth of data, it's gonna be accurate enough that you're probably gonna complete at pretty much 100%, maybe like, you know, 100.5 or, you know, 99.5, but it's going to be pretty accurate. On the other hand, if you got a bunch of like nearly empty data sets or data sets with very little change data since the last time you replicated, you're going to see a bunch of stuff that completes at like 638%. And uh, that gets reported as a bug fairly frequently. And it's really nice to be able to say, you know, hey, that is a bug, but we can't fix it here. You need to, you know, talk about that upstream because we have to use this facility and that facility's data is where the error is. And if you go in just trying to pump yourself up and not talk about, you know, everything that you're built on top of, it makes it a lot harder to have those conversations. I would also like to mention that humility is a very undervalued feature in a dev, but it is an incredibly valuable one. There are a lot of devs that think that they can never show any sort of weakness or inability or less than just stellar everything in terms of their software development abilities. And I have found that very much not to be the case. People respond well to humility. You can say things like, you know, I'm not the best developer in the world. But ideally, you don't just say, I'm not the best developer. You know, you talk, you talk more about, you know, what you're weak at or strong at or whatever. And especially like, you know, when you've got some other contributors, talk up your other contributors. Everybody likes that. People trust you more when you say things 
like talking about your weaknesses in software development as the lead dev for a project, people actually trust that more than they trust the guy that's just out there, you know, talking about how amazing he is, you know, with this one project. You talked about the scope of projects. And it kind of made me think about the whole Unix philosophy thing of do one thing and do it well, and then chain a bunch of stuff together. First off, I am an enormous believer in the Unix philosophy. I think that as a general rule, it is the proper way to design, develop, and use software. With that said, everything that I've said about scope is necessary to the Unix philosophy. Because if you hard code your application to do one extremely narrow thing exactly what you want right now, like I believe Amleth said something like, oh, well, you know, it does this one specific thing on my website. That's not reusable code because you made it to exactly that one specific thing dialed all the way down. What are you going to chain that together with? You can't because it did all the things for that one task. Opening up your scope is what allows you to get to the Unix philosophy where you say, okay, I have the thing that does the first step of this task and does it extremely well, and that's all it does. And so I can chain that together with another thing that does the second step of that task and does it extremely well, and that's all it does. So that's how the Unix philosophy works, is by getting the scope correct. And that doesn't just mean super, super narrow. It frequently means opening that scope way the hell up. And when you get to the narrower part of the actual job you want to do, do that narrower part as a second separable step rather than just all of the steps in your task being one little narrow thing. It seems like a good example of Unix tools keeping a broad scope with a narrow focus is by using text as input and output. All of them send something on standard out, take something on standard in, maybe standard error, and that's how you chain these things together. That's what leaves them open to chaining. Absolutely. And admittedly, it's not a universally perfect model. There are a lot of folks who will just go into ecstasies over the more object-oriented style of like a PowerShell terminal, where everything is an object and the objects have methods and they relate to one another. And there are advantages to that design. And you can absolutely build a PowerShell-style object-based interface without violating the Unix philosophy. The problem is that just that's not usually how it ends up happening. I would argue that PowerShell commandlets, applets, whatever, do not do a good job of implementing the Unix philosophy at all. They tend to do the more, you know, what I was complaining about, you know, the, the far more narrow scope where it's like, okay, you have this one applet that does that one thing and you can't do anything else with it. That's all that applet does. And hopefully you remember the names of several thousand of these stupid little applets because you have to know every single one in order to get anything done. You can't just build something out of simpler, more gener generally applicable things that can be chained together to produce the narrow result. It could be done the proper way. Microsoft just hasn't. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, we'd better get out of here. Thank you very much, Jim, for joining us. It's been great having you on the show. Thanks for having me random person I've never met before. It was wonderful <laughs> to be invited. And uh, I'll put some links to uh, your projects and your socials page and uh, your great Two and a Half Admins podcast as well in the show notes. It's a great podcast. The, uh, the main host's a bit thick, but uh, the other guys are all right. Yeah, yeah. The Canadian bloke's all right as well. But yeah, that Englishman, he talks a lot of nonsense. Right, well, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Until then, I've been Joe. I've been Amalith. And I've been Jim. See you later.